Well, camp council rolls on for the Cubs here. Huge news this week. Cody Bellinger coming back to the north side of Chicago. I think this is the best vibes that we have had coming into a behind the yellow line in a long time. We got Jeremy here. We got Randall here. I'm Ronan. So full crew here tonight. Um, Randall, this is fun. Cody Bellinger is back. It's official. You said best vibes. Cody Bellinger is a vibes-based player. It's not a stat, but if it is, he would probably lead the team in vibes. And what a what a great what a great uh, thing to find out in classic, I guess, off-season style. Even though it's it's, it's preseason already, with the, the one a.m. report from Jeff Passan, who again is one of the few reporters that you can generally trust, that uh, the Cubs have re-signed Cody Bellinger. So what great news! to learn and what a great way to learn of it. There's nothing quite like learning your team did something good in the wee hours of the morning. Exactly right. And we were glad that uh, Randall was on it for us because mm-hmm. Roe and I had started up, you know, a little Star Trek to watch and Randall popped in with the, Hey, Cody Bellinger's coming back. And uh, that was a pretty good, uh, little, little nightcap, if you will. Of course we got to find out Dansby Swanson himself. <laughs> rejecting the Cody Bellinger FaceTime and not finding out till the morning because he was he was too tired and rejecting it at night. Maybe I should have picked it up that night. Uh, that yeah, that's phone a, call, Dansby. Yeah, you probably should have. That's a great character bit from Dansby Swanson that Cody Bellinger has FaceTimed. Uh, Cody Bellinger has tried to FaceTime him late at night enough that Dansby Swanson felt comfortable not taking that call. Reasonably sure his former and current teammate was not in mortal danger and he could ignore the call. So that's a great character bit from Dansby Swanson. Well, I sympathize with Cody. I like the late night FaceTime popping with Randall, which is always, always, always rejected. So you Dansby me all the time, Randall. Uh, but Cody's back. I mean, guys, we have wanted this. We have been waiting for this. We spent last time saying, is this going to happen? How confident are we feeling? And then in the middle of the night, like of all of the times, too, that this deal was going to break, how does it happen at 1.30 in the morning or whatever time it was when that news finally came through? It's crazy how that's how this game is played. Now, now it does sound like, and this is from the piece by Maddie Lee from the Chicago Sun-Times about the, the lead-up to Bellinger signing and uh, getting it done. It does sound like the deal was kind of done in principle a day, maybe two days prior. And it was early Sunday morning that Passon finally got the uh, the go-ahead from his source to make it public. Uh, but still, it, it, it's great. That's the reason you you know keep an eye on the the, the reliable sources overnight, especially in the winter. Uh, because you just never know what you are quite going to learn. Um, and it's so much more interesting finding it out at 1 a.m. than it is waking up to it. I know some people are a big fan of waking up to the good news. I like learning the good news as it happens. What about the news that breaks from Lisa in Arizona who <laughs> tweeted out, I heard they signed Bellinger, and sure enough, Lisa was right. She had to beat Jeff Passan, tipping the cap to Lisa for getting that prediction right. I thought that was a funny sort of turn to this whole saga. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to find out. I think she said that it was one of her friends uh... – uh, dads or something that heard it. So I want to find out how he heard it uh, and found out to tell Lisa. But that, yes, that was a pretty incredible story that she she got. I mean, yeah, she apparently got on the news. And, uh, you know, it, it was interesting. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Ronan, last week we were talking about our confidence level. And mm-hmm. I feel like I... I almost arbitrarily like just because the way the conversation going was I I put myself at a six and I was like, I want to go higher, but I don't know. But just thinking about it, like where was Cody going to go? As I said last week, like where other spot, this was the spot and listening to him at the press conference, it sounded like once he realized 
that he's not going to get that big contract. He's not going to get that $200 million contract this year. He realized that, Hey, I want to come back to the Cubs. I want to, uh, I liked being with this team. It was great. I loved the city, loved everything, the fans, and I have unfinished business here. We didn't make, he mentioned this a couple of times. We didn't make the playoffs last year. I want to come back and finish the business. And I think it just was the best setting for him. It was just really up to whether the Cubs, they could find the terms to make it work. But he he did sound like he this was where he wanted to be. And I think it made sense. It makes sense on both sides. So uh, as you said, like it was very exciting that night when Randall texted in that, that Cody Bellinger is getting signed. Popped into our uh, the next generation festival there, finding out what's going on with pa- Captain Picard. And then Randall, you know, beams in here with this breaking news that Cody's a cub. I said, make it so. Cody Bellinger yeah. is a Cub. I did not actually say that. that was just Bellinger in all caps, to be clear. But I wanted to get the Star Trek fun in there. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, you know, Cody's probably a guy who likes to beam, you know, balls into the outfield <laughs> or into the yes. into the uh, bleachers. But uh, yeah, I, I thought the uh, press conference today was pretty interesting itself. Um, uh, first of all, I thought it was, I was watching it on Marquee, and Cole Wright kicked it off to uh, Arizona to to Sloan Park, where I believe the press conference was. And he said that it would be Jed Hoyer, Cody Bellinger, and Cardi Haw- Carter Hawkins taking the the stand. And I was like, oh, okay, that's normal, right? We yeah. expect with the things. And I saw Jed Hoyer sit down. I saw Cody Bellinger sit down. <laughs> and then I saw a stand, as all the people were putting their mics, or excuse me, their phones on the on the table, I saw Scott Boris standing there with his phone out looking down. I'm like, why would Scott Boris be putting his phone on the table? Like, is he trying to record it like a reporter? But no, Scott Boris sat down in one of the chairs. And I was like, I've never seen this before. I've never seen the agent sit down at the table. Now, I haven't seen a lot of Scott Boris uh, clients give their press conferences. Cody Last year, Cody did a Zoom, so Boris wasn't on it. Um, but that was so weird to me. It was so rare for me, my eyes to see Scott Boris, the agent taking questions uh, while he's up there with the player introductory con- I, I, conference. I, 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 it was interesting to me because it, it makes it seem like the Cubs or jet at least have a decent rule. Re- I think they have a decent enough relationship with Boris. Like, I don't think they would just let him be up there. You're totally right. I didn't see the full press conference. I caught about 10 minutes of it. I never saw Boris talk, actually. I heard Cody answer a couple questions, Jed do his thing, and I'm like, okay, I've I've had enough of this. It's not, I got what I needed out of it. But one of the things that Jed said that stood out to me is that this conversation regarding Cody really started like the middle of last year. They talk all of the time, and obviously they do, right? I mean, you've got one of the marquee agents in the sport, You've got a high-profile executive at a team that is theoretically trying to aggressively compete for World Series championship. Of course, they should be talking to each other. But there was something to that. I, I don't know why I was so surprised to hear Jed say it like that, that these guys are constantly talking all of the time. And maybe there's a couple other from the Boris 4 or the Boris 5 that if the conversation keeps going, maybe some of these guys end up in Chicago too. Right. And, uh, you know, Jed, obviously, as he's known to do, played at Koi, just like Theo did, about whether there are questions asked about whether or not he had the money or whether or not he had the wherewithal to go out and get another uh, client. Of course, uh, Boris, I remember it was Jesse Rogers who asked Scott, uh, Jed, um, like, do you have enough money to go out and spend, you know, bring another guy in? <laughs> and Boris jumped in and said, good question, Jesse. And I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. The Cubs have a guy up there like answering questions and pestering the Cubs to sign more high-profile uh, 
baseball players. And so I thought that was pretty odd, but uh, I thought Boris gave some interesting answers. Now he gives a lot of like fluff that like, you're like, what is he talking? He is a fluff heavy individual. There's a lot of fluff. He talked a lot about irregularities and he talked about, you know, the checking the temperature of the Turkey and all this stuff. But one thing I did find interesting um, was Boris talking. He said like, they, people were asking like, why are you waiting? Why are you doing this? He, He said, you, 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 you would be surprised because you, you would think that like we would just be getting inundated with phone calls all the time from teams with like offers. And so he goes, it doesn't work that way. He said, we sit there for like weeks and we don't hear from anybody. We don't hear from any clubs about like trying to sign one of these guys until a situation arises. And then the, a, a club and owner will be like, well, I think about my team differently today than I did last week. And then they'll call. And I just thought that was interesting that like, it, I, I was a little surprised too when Jed first said we started talking about July um, about Cody. Cause I was like, Oh, last year he, he wants to bring it back. And he said, Jed said last year that Boris was like, we're not really talking about this cause he didn't get to free agency, but uh, yeah. And then he goes, Cody made it clear. Basically it seems to me that he wanted to come back to the Cubs. Jed wanted him back. And that's, it just all got done. It seems like in the last seven to 10 days. Maybe Boris is trying to go the the Brody Van Wagenen route, uh, agent to team executive, and then back to agent. Something I would be fascinated to learn someday, and I'm sure someone of Boris's caliber would never quite allow this. I would love to sit in on the process of the initial contact between a team and the representative for a free agent and go through all the negotiation, all the back and forth, You know, be a fly on the wall in the meeting room all the way until the press conference. And, you know, that's the kind of access I don't think we will ever get. Um, and probably rightly so. It's okay for some things to remain proprietary. But that's the kind of thing, like you said, Jeremy, as Boris describes, how you go from nothing to a done deal in a very short amount of time. I would love to see the inner workings of that process someday. Right. I, I mean, and, and like I said, like, I think when, you know, Tom came out and he said that, like, we've had discussions but not negotiations. And Jed kind of backed that up today. And it seems like, like that whole day was kind of a Kickstarter for this, where it finally got to the point, like they started sending each other offers over like the last week. And I, I, this deal, which I think we should discuss the, the, the deal itself. I think, I think it's an interesting deal. First of all, it's interesting one, because the Cubs don't really know. I mean, they're at, I think they have to operate with the idea that they're at the luxury tax right now threshold, but they technically don't actually know what their number is until Cody Bellinger decides what he's going to do. Like if he opts out after this year, that number is 30 million. If he opts out after next year, that number is 30 million. But if he stays all the way, that number go, turns into 26 point whatever for their luxury tax threshold. So that's, that's kind of interesting. And in and of itself, he gets like, he only gets paid 26, so 27 and a half million, I think this year. And then if he opts out, they give him the 1.5 or two uh, math, 2.5 bonus for when he opts out. So I just think the, the, the structure of the contract is very interesting with how it does. And obviously Cody liked it. He's going to yeah. get three chances yeah. for agency. Well, yeah, a couple things on there, just to uh, some added context that people don't know what's going on with the contract. And you added some details there, but essentially 30 million year one, 30 million year two, 20 million year three with player opt-outs at the end of years one and two. So, you know, it was funny. I was listening to Talking Baseball, the John Boy podcast the other day. They were talking about this contract and the two hosts there disagreed on whether or not they like these types of deals. 
to me, this is a team-friendly deal and a player-friendly deal at the same time. I'm kind of into this deal. I think this is fun. It incentivizes Cody Bellinger to go out and have a monster season. If he struggles, which he had before his time in Chicago, if he's got injury problems, anything like that, the Cubs aren't locked into a $250 million contract. And you know some fans get turned off by that as well. So I feel a deal like this Cody's got all the incentive in the world to go out and dominate. Then he can get his $30 million. He opts out as a free agent. Maybe he gets a big deal. The Cubs at $30 million potentially get a decent deal with him for this year. And if he's awful, if he's terrible, if it backfires, you're not totally out for the next five, six, seven years dealing with this behemoth of a bad contract. So I like deals like this. I think it's team friendly, player friendly. Randall, do you like these deals or are you not a fan of these deals? I'm a fan of getting the player signed, whatever it takes. It is, as ever, not my money. If I have one hair to split, one nit to pick, it's that the Cubs potentially only have Bellinger for one guaranteed year. And if he lights it up next season, this season, 2024, we're going to be doing this exact same routine again. And I mean the exact same routine a year from now. And uh, again, I, I, but that's a, that's a nitpick. That's a hair to split. Getting Bellinger back is a lot more important than how you get him back. I will note this very short, short, but high average value contract is the kind of thing I don't think you would have necessarily seen even five years ago, not all that long ago. I think it's come about as the market has changed a great deal in the last four or five seasons. And it is, it's basically what Carlos Correa signed before he got his free agency from three different teams, as funny as that was. Um, so it is basically the Carlos Correa deal that worked out well for Carlos Correa. It eventually worked out well for the team that lost him and then regained him to free agency. So I'm for it. I'm happy to have Bellinger back again. My one nit to pick is that the Cubs potentially only have him for the one guaranteed year, because if he lights it up, he's going to opt out. And right. that's a bridge you cross when you come to it. I disagree though, that they will be in the exact same position. Even if he has a monster season, the Cubs have so many like fringe type players right now, like PCA, for example, is this guy going to make the opening day roster? I would say now that Cody's here, probably not. I think he goes to Iowa. But when is he up? Like May 1st, June 1st, August 1st? Right next year, this time next year, we're going to have a much better understanding of who PCA is. Same thing for Saya and Wright. Like is Saya the guy we saw the first three months last year or the monster the last two months of the year? And all that impacts Cody Bellinger's like viability for 2025. Michael Bush, is this guy a major league first baseman or not? So I don't agree with you, Randall, that worst case scenario that a year from now we're in the same exact position. I think they needed Bellinger right now because there are so many uncertainties still with this roster that will get resolved one way or the other before next year. And to be clear, I don't know, I, I didn't necessarily mean that the Cubs as a whole will be in the same situation. I meant solely in regards to Bellinger, free agency, where will he sign, and is Boris going to get that, that $200 million deal? As you said, there's a lot of baseball, literally all of the baseball, to be played this season, and that's going to narrow the focus on a lot of guys. Um, and hopefully the roster is collectively in a better spot a year from now than it is right now. you got some guys come up, you got some guys, like you said, um, give you an idea of exactly what you're going to be able to count on for them. So hopefully the roster is in a better spot. And if they do lose Bellinger to free agency, it it is not as big of a deal as it would have been had they not brought him back this season. 
Right. And uh, I think that, well, first of all, I, I do think it's a little funny. Uh, I just remember having this conversation last year and I want to say around May, June, when Cody was going off and, and I was pumping, like, we got to, we got to try to extend this guy. And you guys were like, Oh, we got PCA coming up. I'm not so sure. But uh, now I think we get with this contract, it's kind of like a best of both worlds to keep the Star Trek references going. Um, I, I think, you know, you get, that deal and and what I said about Shoda, remember when we had that podcast about Shoda Managa, is Jed Hoyer always gets his man at his price, and I think this is another example. This is Cody Bellinger. Jed waited out the market. Basically, I'm not going to pay that much for Cody Bellinger. The market's going to come back to me, and Cody's going to. I'm not going to say he's, he came crawling back, but Cody's going to come back. Going to realize, and he got a deal done that he feels comfortable with. He this thirty. He's got. Basically, like it's very similar to me to the Marcus Stroman deal. Uh, yeah, Marcus didn't have two opt outs, he only had one opt out, but it's a three year deal, basically in the prime of the guy's career for a reasonable amount of money, not astronomical amount of money, uh, reasonable amount of money, high current, uh, average annual values, but no like long term kind of commitments. And Cody plays well, as you said, he's going to opt out, right? But you kind of live with that. Like, one, if Cody plays really well again, the Cubs are probably going to be a good team. More than likely, they're going to be a good team if Cody's, like, dominating. Two, as Ronan mentioned, the Cubs are in the spot now where they have all these outfield prospects and guys that can come up and can and contribute. So losing Cody is not necessarily – should not be a death now. Like, it, you kind of – you want all the good things to happen. And the Cubs, honestly, should be in a position next year if Cody Bellinger opts out to negotiate with him again if yeah. they want to bring him back. Like, there should be no reason why, if Cody Bellinger is a great player for the Chicago Cubs, the two should not be interested in bringing him back once again. So yeah. there's just like a whole I, – I, I love it. Obviously, we're going to get at least 2024 with Cody Bellinger as a Chicago Cub, which the Chicago Cubs sorely needed. We all wanted. And I I think I think it's a pretty good deal. I, I would also point out, though, just to go back a little bit about Boris, I thought it was funny. Uh, one of the uh, – reporters i don't remember exactly who asked asked uh cody about whether or not you know those kind of expected underlying numbers with the soft contact how he felt about that having an influence on on his uh free agency and boris just like immediately jumped in and was like i i want to answer this basically like you know you didn't look at what he was doing with two strikes you didn't look at what the counts were he goes he had a two strike approach that's why he hit he got on base at like a 350 clip with two strikes it was soft contact that but when he was in a hitter's count he hit it hard and i thought i'm like that's a good agent right there he stepped yeah. in he's dominating and I, I thought i was like pretty impressed by boris to do that so uh i just i thought that was pretty good I, it was interesting to see boris in like kind of that mode sitting there like i'm protecting my guy and i'm going to still fight for him even though he signed his contract yeah, the, the man didn't get to be where he is by not having binders of information telling you why it doesn't really matter that the player was a little deficient in this statistic. And if there's one other thing that Bellinger returning does give me optimism for, it's that maybe the Cubs are able, like you said, to go and get one more of those Boris fourth, the Boris three now, because again, this is proof that the Cubs and Boris do not hate each other. They can work together just fine. And... Again, as we get deeper and deeper into spring, you might have another one or even two or all of the three willing to take similar contracts, which suits Jed Hoyer and the Cubs just fine. Uh, so as we get deeper and deeper into spring without these remaining three players in his his stable being signed, it gets more and more curious as to where they're going to end up. 
I got to disagree with you again, Randall. I think okay. that's the theme of the show here. Um, yep. It's still the Boris four. I think what you've missed, JD Martinez has been elevated yes. into the Boris oh, four. He's been promoted got, from AAA, so he's the exactly, Boris four. You now. got your Jordan Montgomery, you got your Matt Chapman, you got your Blake Snell. It was Cody Bellinger, the Boris four. Cody goes, you got an open up. slot. JD Martinez comes up. JD Martinez would be more than happy to see him DHing at Wrigley Field this year as a right. Cub. Right, and that, that's where I was going to go with this. Uh, uh, so you, as Ronan just mentioned, we still got the Boris Four because JD got called up to the Boris Four. Um, so for you guys, uh, and Craig Council apparently joking uh, when he saw Scott Boris, I thought you were bringing, like I thought Montgomery was coming. Apparently that was the joke from Craig Council to Boris. So for you guys, of the Boris Four left, say the Cubs find themselves in a position to bring one of them in, one in more than likely, uh, which boris four would you be the most interested in, in adding to this cubs team yeah i'll go first jd martinez and and the only downside that i see to J, jd martinez is he cannot play anywhere on the field right? yeah. he is a dh he is strictly a dh he's a right-handed batter right and we've talked about the need for left-handed bats in the lineup um what i like about jd martinez is he gets the smallest deal i think of all those guys the cubs need an ace, I still think. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm buying, I'm high on Justin Steele, but I don't know if Justin Steele is an ace. We'll see that. This is the year for Justin Steele to tell the world I am a Major League Baseball ace, and we're going to figure that out. Um, Blake Snell just churns out Cy Young Awards, right? Blake Snell's going to get a big contract, though. So, to answer your question, I'm going J.D. Martinez. You get a power bat immediately in the lineup. And I think you get the most reasonable contract to the guys that are left. So that's the route that I would go. Well, J.D. Martinez is actually fourth on my list. And that's only because I don't necessarily want to lock up a D.H. only guy. I'm fine rotating Bush, Bellinger, Suzuki, uh, Morrell, whoever you feel you know, needs a day off their feet. I'm fine rotating that. And then again, if Matt Shaw forces the issue, and we'll talk about him a little bit later, if he forces the issue mid-season, uh, you got a ready-made spot for him. My number one is Matt Chapman, because I think a an infield of Bellinger at first, a lot of the time, Horner at second, Dansby Swanson at third, and Matt, uh, Dansby Swanson at short, I beg your pardon, and Matt Chapman at third, I don't think anything gets through that infield. That's a, a brick wall covered in ivy all the way around your infield. Um, I think Chapman's going to give you some power in the lineup. I would enjoy seeing him play third base a lot more than I'm going to enjoy seeing Madrigal and Wisdom split the spot if Morell doesn't work out. And so that is my number one of the uh, slightly reshuffled four is four. Matt Chapman is my number one of that four. Yeah, I mean, it's tough for me because I could I could see any of these guys really adding to the Cubs in all different ways. And I, I was pretty proponent of Matt Chapman, uh, Cubs signing him. Uh, for me, one, I think, or four, I'll say, I think Blake Snell would be my number four just because it is going to be a big contract. Yeah. And I am, there's, you know, Blake Snell, he gives you, he, you're right. He pitches for the Cy Young, but then there's some other things like how he only goes like five innings a game for the first. And, you know, he puts on, it's, it's tough. He puts on so many base runners, but he gets out of it. He's proven to yeah. be capable of getting out of it. But I just, for the money he's going to cost, I, I just don't see the fit necessarily with this team, even though I think the Cubs need pitching. I agree with you, Ronan. So then it brings me to the other three. And honestly, I'm like up in the air on these guys. One, I think J.D. Martinez would be the most likely just because I think, as you said, he's probably going to be the cheapest. You can get him on probably a one-year deal, maybe a two-year deal. Uh, he is older, so you run the risk of him just falling off the cliff at any time, you know, because he's 
he's old. I mean, it happens to everybody. At some point, he's just not going to be good. But uh, his underlying numbers are fantastic. He hit the ball like crazy last year. Yeah, he can't play the field, but he adds an instant bat, and the, the Cubs have the DH now. So, yeah, and I agree with you. I agree with Chapman. I think he fits so perfectly. And Montgomery, because I, I think I still think the Cubs are a little light on starting pitching. I do. I think they need another starter, and I think I'll get into that a little bit later. But so I'm, I'm a little – I'm. I think I'll say I, I'm going to go with Martinez one, Montgomery two, just because I think Montgomery will be cheaper than Snell. Uh, he could just fit in. And then I'll say Chapman three, because I just don't see them doing another long-term deal for a bat. So I think I'll put Chapman three and then uh, Snell four. I think the real thing here is Jeremy wants another Scott Boris press conference at yes. uh, Sloan Park. Well, Ronan, you had some criticism for Scott Boris, you know. I was shocked. Shade. I was shocked. Two things shocked me today about Scott Boris. His dark hair, his clearly <laughs> dyed dark hair. He's a 71-year-old man, and he's got dark dyed hair. Like, what are we doing here, buddy? Let it go gray. You're not fooling anybody. Nobody's going to be annoyed that the 71-year-old has gray hair. And then I saw a picture of him standing, and he had skinny jeans on. <laughs> like, the guys that I see at these hipster concerts all the time, this is a 71-year-old man worth a ton of money for all the success that he's had. I thought he looked like a jackass. That was my <laughs> perspective on that. The dyed hair, the skinny jeans on a 71-year-old, that is just ridiculous. The only dyed hair I want on a 71-year-old is what Pete Crow Armstrong showed up to spring training with. <laughs> well, Carl well, Hawkins it, was giving it to him uh, with that fair. If the Cubs give another Scott Boris uh, uh, client good money, he might dye his hair blue. Ronan, do you think Scott Boris would be one of your people at concerts who talks through the whole thing? Do you think he would he'd do that? Chomper. He'd, chomper. Would, he'd, he'd be a would chomper. Chomp. He'd be working on deals, and I'd say, sir, sir, can you go to the bar? This is a concert. Can you go to the bar? I'm here to listen to music, which Jeremy saw me do uh, at least on one occasion. Uh, yeah, Ryan Adams. Uh, would you be doing it, though, if you heard him on the phone with Jed Hoyer discussing uh, Jordan Montgomery? J.D. Martinez. Like, like, or J.D. <laughs> Martinez would be like, get out of here, sir. Still, um, yeah. I, I just There's a, a buddy who has – he's got business cards that he hands out at concerts. <laughs> he's trying to be non-confrontational that says – Music is better when you listen to it. And he hands it to people that are talking during shows. I love that. That's, That's uh, We need some of that. I've seen Randall get annoyed at Wrigley Field over the years. Sometimes you're sitting around people. They're a little louder than they need to be. And if they're having a conversation about, you know, things that are not related to baseball or terrible takes when it comes to baseball, Randall's the first to say, this is unacceptable. Uh, you know what? That is, that is me. I have done that on a number of occasions. Uh one of my favorite memories is somebody who stood up blocking view of the field so she could talk to her two friends behind her about uh, uh, where they were going after the game. Oof. And, you know, I'm, I'm not I, I would never tell people you got to keep it completely silent in a ball game. Nobody's there to be completely silent. But at the same time, again, if you're going to spend the entire time talking about your your business deals or where you're going after the game, I don't know, try and have a little regard for the people around you. But that's just yeah. me. The, the world the world does not. Uh, uh, move to the beat of my drum, and I understand that. So I, I started thinking about it. I think I may know why the Cubs – well, who knows why the Cubs and the Boris have such a good relationship here is because the Cubs are responsible for Scott Boris. I don't know if you guys know, but the Cubs drafted Scott Boris as a draft pick, and he played – I don't know how – he played much in the Cubs uh, minor league system a, as a player, but the Cubs, because he didn't really play – the Cubs, he got his tuition money – 
from the Cubs to go to law school. So the Cubs paid for Scott Boris's law school, which is why the Cubs are responsible for Scott Boris. So maybe there's something there where Scott Boris has a spot in his heart for the Chicago Cubs. And uh, uh, but Scott Boris wasn't a Chicago Cubs draft pick and they did pay for his tuition to law school. So that's that's just kind of an interesting snippet there. I, I, I just popped in my head uh, as we were talking about him. Well, I Jeremy, see, that's a great that's a great origin story. I didn't know yeah, that. No, I, I didn't know the origin. I see he's a left-handed hitter. Didn't know that. Uh, played third base. Cubs might need a third baseman, depending yeah. on how well this Christopher Burrell thing goes. Well, I don't yeah. want to see Scott Boris in today's pant- baseball pants. No, 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 no. We don't need that. He's he's uh, you know one more free agent signing away from that. Um, but it looks like he was in the Cardinals system for a while. The Gulf Coast Cardinals in 1974, uh, St. Petersburg. He was in Arkansas, Midland, and back in St. Petersburg, he was out of baseball by 24. Huh, how about that? I didn't actually know that, Jeremy. You, you did bring something um, funny. I hadn't thought much about how Scott Boris got to where he's at, and the Cubs yeah. are part of the story. And according to his uh, Wikipedia page here, he actually worked – oh, yeah, he, I see he played for the, in the Cardinals organization. But he actually worked in a Chicago law firm immediately after uh, uh, law school. He apparently worked in Chicago before starting off in, as a, a baseball agent. So that, that's pretty interesting. But, yeah, the Cubs – I for some because the Cubs I think signed him to his first contract. I it doesn't appear he actually ever played for a Cub, but uh, I think they were the ones on the hook for the he got the tuition money from the Cubs to go to the. Uh, um, I don't know. I do know he, he was a member of the Cubs organization, and I remember reading that the Cubs paid for his tuition money to law How school. About that? Yeah, um, I hope they didn't pay for the skinny jeans and the terrible dye job there on the top of the head. But I'm happy he was at Sloan Park today because that meant Cody Bellinger is back. I'm a huge boost to this team. As, as we've said, he's a gold glove caliber player, really at four positions, obviously center, left and right, but also first base, left-handed bat, power. You know, one thing that stood out to me from last season with Cody, think of all of the Cubs free agent players who have come over and struggled either throughout their entire first year or at least like the first month or two of the season. Let me give a relevant, timely example of that. Moise Salou, back in 2002, his first year of that contract with the Cubs, it was a disaster, obviously much better in 03 and 04. Um, April was one of Cody's best months last year. Seven home runs, the OPS up near 1,000. That was super impressive. He sort of arrived in Chicago coming from Los Angeles, Southern California, got a Chicago spring and dominated right out of the gate and had a wonderful season. I've got very high expectations for Cody this year. And I think every Cubs fan should be sitting here hoping because that means he had a great season and he's going to be an attractive free agent. And if he has a great season, Jeremy, the Cubs are going to win some ball games. So that's what we should be cheering for and then see where the cards fall at that point. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Everybody should be rooting for Cody. To have a, a major season, and I and I, I looked it up a little bit about Boris's career. So he got traded to the Cubs, and it wasn't working out. And uh, the, the Cubs general manager at the time, basically, who also was a lawyer, I think, basically said, "Hey, he, he, you're hurt a little bit. He got hurt. Go to law school. We'll keep you under contract. You could just take some classes." And they kept him under contract his three years. So the Cubs, he had the money from being under contract to the Cubs. That's how he went. But yeah, I agree with you. Going to the Bellinger and I have one more thing to put on Bellinger not quite about Bellinger though um did you, either of you guys see the council article that the kind of the Cubs with Ken Rosenthal from earlier this week 
about the changes Council's bringing to the Cubs. Yes, so, I did. I did you know, see that. Okay. So I thought that was a pretty interesting article about just, and one thing that was mentioned was about the way that almost kind of the way that they, they, that they speak about baseball where uh, brought the uh, Jed Hoyer said, we need like a three hitter. Right. And Craig council corrected Jed Hoyer said, we don't need a three hitter. What we need is a three win player. And I, I, I see like Cody Bellinger's like being that guy that they were kind of talking about. Um, and it, it, we don't need a guy to really just be like the, the, the heart, like to get, we, what we need is a player who can just improve our team. And Cody Bellinger's kind of that guy. Cause he, as you said, he play outfield, he can play first base. He's, he's doing all these kind of different aspects and all about all together. It's going to raise the team up in a kind of a combined cumulative effort. And I, I just thought it was interesting the way that Jed said, Hey, this is why we brought him in. Like just to think about things a little bit differently is it doesn't really matter. Like the specific way a guy is contributing. What we need is contributors. We need people that are going to improve no matter how, like we don't need to be get stuck into like the thought of we need to add uh, this specific thing or that specific thing. We just need to add good hmm. baseball players. And that's what we need to do. And I thought that was pretty interesting uh, way to talk about it. And I, I think Cody Bellinger is kind of that example of that. Just add a good baseball player. And that's what Cody Bellinger is. He's a very good baseball player. Yeah, good stuff. I got to check out that uh, article. I didn't see that, but I want to learn more about Craig Council, right? He had nine seasons in Milwaukee. I think they had five playoff appearances, some division championships in there. I didn't like Craig Council as a Cubs fan. There was a little bit of envy, maybe, of what he was able to accomplish up there. Annoyance at what the Cubs struggled with as the Brewers continued to win, especially the last couple of years. Um, but I'm into that. So, yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, one other thing about that I just thought was also interesting was, um, you know, the Cubs have their their software system, Ivy, that obviously they built when, like, Theo first came came together, and they have all the different player pages. They, they have, like, video and scouting reports and statistics and everything on it, and Council came in, and he was, like, looking at it, and I don't think it really been, like, updated much since... Overhauled. Overhauled, I guess would be the word, since... Uh, uh, you know, deal that since it was like built right when it was first built, which was state of the art then. And obviously, and Council looked at it, and he's like, Why do we have things like all these numbers, probably like batting average and RBIs and stuff? You know, they're just on there because they were on there. They have all the advanced numbers, everything, but like, why do we have these numbers on here? Because nobody's looking at them. They're, there's no point in having them on there. Why do we have them on there? And they were just like, I don't know. You're right. We probably should take this off because we don't really use them, but they're just still on there from when we built it. And I just thought that was kind of an interesting anecdote of like council coming in. They're like, what's the point of having this on here? Just We could just get rid of that. And they were like, yeah, you're probably right. But it's good to yeah. have like another a pair of eyes coming from the outside sure. looking at things. Yeah, Jerry, that's exactly what it was. I did read that piece now that you mentioned that is that is exactly how Craig Council was described. David Ross, not to speak ill of him, he was definitely not a fresh set of eyes. He had been in the organization for quite some time. Um, we know that he was kind of an extension of Theo and Jed, and that's why he was brought in to manage. He was definitely not a fresh set of eyes. Craig Council, whatever issues I have with him, and we're, we're getting there. I, I dislike him less now than I did uh, not all that long ago. But you are right. There is a tremendous value in him being that complete outsider coming in and saying, why aren't we doing things slightly differently? So again, I'll, I'll get there with Craig eventually, but hearing him do things like that to come in and shake things up a little bit completely necessarily will, will help me get there a lot faster. That That's an interesting point. You know, I actually had a recent conversation with a Rockies fan who asked me uh, as, as sort of an outsider to the Rockies. I mean, I've been here about a decade. I go to 
20 Rockies games a year. I'm pretty locked into what they're doing, but I'm a Cubs fan. And he understood that. But he said, is, is the criticism of like Dick Monfort valid? He does go out and sign big free agents. They gave Chris Bryant that massive contract. And I said, the point I was trying to make to him is that there's more to building an effective organization than just major league payroll. Part of it is investing in analytics and things, but I think a big part of it is soliciting input from people from outside of your organization. And you can do that through interviewing. You can do that through hiring people from other organizations. Two organizations that come to mind to me right now, the Chicago White Sox, the Colorado Rockies, they promote from within. They don't get these outside perspectives. So you can dump $150 million at a major league payroll, but you're talking to like your family. You're not getting that outside perspective. That's a disadvantage for these teams. So I think that's a plus with Council coming in. He will make these observations. He'll bring things up to a, a system that's fairly in place, and that's going to shake things up. Carter Hawkins coming from Cleveland. They do do things a little bit differently. That shakes things up. Look at what the White Sox are doing. Look at what the, the Rockies are doing. They don't value outside input, and they lose. They consistently lose. So that got me thinking about that, and I explained that to him, and he's like, ah. Oh, Never really thought about that. I just saw Chris Bryan and thought, well, they're spending some money. Right. And then that's a good point. And I, and I think it was something like even Jed and, and possibly even Theo uh, had said towards the end. But I, I, I distinctly recall Jed saying this, basically, that like they kind of got too comfortable with themselves. Right. They thought they knew everything. They were winners. They had done everything right. They built that first team. And then they, they kind of just thought, well, we know how to work this. Like, and they stayed kind of insular and they saw all these other teams kind of pass them. I would say like after 2016, you know, 2017, the Astros, the Dodgers, you could probably say the Rays and some other teams. And I, I think Jed realized, you know, in 2020, 2021, like, Hey, and this is one thing I give Jed a ton of credit for. Like, we got to shake things up a little bit here. We got to go in and, and, and rebuild this. And I think that kind of started under Theo, like his last year, but like, let's rebuild the way we do player development, rebuild the way we're drafting. And they brought in all these outside hires and, it was, and I, th I find it pretty impressive. And, and it's, and a lot of guys that are working there, cause really they just brought everybody over from Boston. It seemed like, but a lot of these guys now it's like, they're people that Jed has no connection to. He's just hiring the guy he thinks is best for the job. And I find that pretty impressive. Unlike the, as you you say on the south side of town where they promoted from within and they had a couple decent hires from outside but it seems to me they are hiring from outside but they're hiring all everybody from kansas city they're just importing kansas city into the white Sox, which i don't understand at all i don't every person they bring in even players coaches everybody they bring in they were involved in kansas city at some point so it's 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 pretty ridiculous what's going on on the south side it is um also speaking of kansas city they may be my pick for the American League Central this year. We'll see. We'll do that in a couple weeks. I'll give them we props because they're day. apparently the only team that had the balls to ask to keep the lettering the same. That's right. We will, we will get to that. There's all new development, all new information on the ongoing Jersey saga. Uh, well, transaction-wise with the Cubs here, they bring in another veteran infielder, Garrett Cooper, 33, left-handed bat, spent some time in Miami, some time in San Diego. Um, Garrett Cooper this week, Dom Smith last week, how can I not feel like Matt Mervis's days in the organization are numbered? Certainly feels that way to me with these signings. What about you? Just to be clear, Garrett Cooper is a right-handed batter who has hit lefties very well mm -hmm. in his career. So well, the either notes way, here from Randall, too distracting. But regardless, that's 
largely relevant. They bring in more you bring the in baseman. these veteran first basemen, Dom Smith, Garrett Cooper. You've got Cody Bellinger back. You've got Michael Bush back. You've got Matt Mervis, who struggled in his stint in the majors, is maybe a quadruple A type player, taking up a 40-man spot. Again, is this a sign that Matt Mervis's days are numbered here in the organization? Because I think it does. Yeah, you know, I don't know that it, it bodes the tea leaves especially well for him. I don't think they're going to give up on him arbitrarily. But if you end up in a tough spot where you need the 40-man spot, you might, you know, they might consider getting rid of him and clearing that 40-man spot. So it it is the sort of thing to take note of. But I'd also note it's the kind of thing that you don't want to jump to any conclusions on. But it, it's clear that they're looking to add a certain variety of player and keep them in the system, or at least keep them in camp this spring. Uh, you mentioned Dom Smith, you, Garrett Cooper we're talking about right now. All of these have the standard opt-outs in spring. If they are not uh, rostered or promised something by a certain point, they are permitted to become free agents. So it's something to watch for. None of the three, I believe, have gotten into games yet. Garrett Cooper signing, I don't think, is even official yet. It's just one of those things that we know is on the books and coming. So it's something to watch this spring. But I don't think they're going to give up on Mervis arbitrarily. But like you said, he might be that 40-man casualty if you add another position player and you have to make a tough decision on someone right yeah I, I i think it's interesting that they're bringing in all these Marley or on I mean, guys on minor league deals it seems like they just see kind of a, a an opportunity to bring in a lot of possibly decent players who knows on uh, minor league deals because a lot of guys aren't getting deals um i think dom smith uh, you know you you said that these guys have gotten games i think dom smith is technically still hurt i think he's trying to come back from a hammock injury um, so he probably, probably not till later, but I, I do think that I don't think they're very high on Mervis. I, nope. I think they're kind of skeptical on him. I don't think they would have gone out and traded for Michael Bush. Who's pretty much, uh, kind of, I don't want to say the rich man's Matt Mervis, but a, a very similar player to Matt Mervis, but has a higher pedigree, more of a history of success than Matt Mervis does. So I, 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 I think they're, he, he's gotten a lot of playing time so far earlier in, in, Spring training, uh, Bush had a uh, uh, sore shoulder, and he's finally gotten to play. But Mervis, I, I just don't think I, – I think they're skeptical of him, I, and I don't know if he's necessarily long for the Cubs here. I, I would not be surprised to see him not in the Cubs organization. And over the next couple months, like, I, I, I don't think he's really I, – I would be very surprised to see him on in the Cubs organization by the end of the season. Agreed. Yeah, I think he's on the way out. I think the writing's been on the wall with that for a while, too. I think even with his heroics in the minor leagues, I don't know that this Cubs front office was ever all that high on him. Um, and I think this is a sign that they're building some insurance here and maybe looking to move him, especially that 40-man spot is so valuable when you get into the season here. Um, I thought he may have been the move to open up space for Cody Bellinger. That ended up not being the case. Uh, Bailey Horn, the pitcher, goes back to the White Sox. He was originally acquired for Ryan Tapera. The Cubs get a minor league pitcher back, Matt Thompson. He's been a bit of a mixed bag, but you open up the 40-man spot. You've got a guy that may turn out to be something, and Cody's in town. And you've held on to Mervis, at least for now. So that's sort of how all that shakes out. Right. I, I was a little surprised to uh, see this trade in terms of, like, obviously they need the 40-man spot, and, and they want to get something uh back for whatever you give up because Bailey Horn kind of interesting uh Matt Thompson I, was a name I was like oh that's a name I recognize that's a name I know but it's not really a name that's uh impressive to me so maybe the Cubs see something in there he was a guy that the White Sox gave a lot of money to out of the they gave him like two million dollars as a second round draft pick uh four years ago and he's never really 
done anything. Like he's struck. The one thing he's been has been healthy. He's been healthy his whole time. He's pitched a lot, um, but he's kind of just struggled. He's rule five eligible at the end of the year. So I, I understand why the White Sox were willing to get rid of him. Um, but I maybe there's something there that the Cubs can figure it out. Bell, Bailey Horn was kind of interesting to me, but I, I don't lament either of these like moves because it, at the end of the day, it's just kind of like uh, arm, uh, you know, minor league arm for a minor league arm. And either of them are super special. So, but I, I, I just thought it was interesting to see that one Bailey Horn went back to the White Sox and two, it was a name that like, oh, that's actually a name I recognize because I know who Matt Thompson is, but he's really fallen off. I saw, too, the first trade between the new White Sox general manager, Chris Getz, and the combo of Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins here with the Cubs. Uh, there's been more of that, though, I feel, in the last decade than the previous 20 years or so. Obviously, the disastrous Matt Karchner trade from our childhood. Oh. But just in recent years, we've seen some deals. The, the big trade, of course, Quintana, Eloy, Cease, um, but some other deals, too. The Kimbrel trade, um, this trade, it's picked up a little bit in recent years. And two of your favorite guys, wasn't it Neil Cotts for David Hartsma? Wasn't that a deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. That that's always a trade I think about. Well, I think David Hartsma is still like first in all-time yeah. player names. If you right. stack up the names of all, I think we're at like twelve thousand or thirteen thousand guys that have played Major League Baseball over the years. Number one, AA David Hartsma, AARD. Top beat- of the list there. How do you get to the top of the list? You get two A's at the front of your name, and you know who it's he beat, a- right? He beat Hank Aaron. So anytime you beat Hank Aaron out wow. or something, you're pretty good. <laughs> it's the one time you want to be a double A player, quite literally. And you, you are, of course, still correct. He is still uh, alphabetically number one all time in uh, 718 players to have played in MLB. Who's last? Who's last? That is a fantastic question. You are lucky I have the list in front of me right now. Alphabetically, That's my guess. Uh, you are correct. That is oh. Tony Zich, Z-Y-C-H. He is alphabetically the last player in MLB history. Uh, he, of course, a uh, little-used reliever who appeared for the Mariners in Cubs the traffic. end of the previous decade. And yes, you are correct. He was a Cubs draft pick, but that is your alphabetically lowest player in MLB history, Tony Zich, Z-Y-C-H. We have you covered from Arjma to Zich here yeah. on Behind the Yellow Line. Yeah, I was I was thinking, because I, I, the first name that popped in my head was the pitcher for the Brewers today, Rob Zizdrisny, former Cubs uh, draft pick. And I was like, Zizdrisny, but I'm like, there's got to be a, after a ZA, there's got to be lower than that. And I just thought, what about Z, like ZZ, ZY? And somehow Tony Zitch popped in my head, former Cubs draft pick on arm. I think he went from Louisville. He might have even been from Chicago, like growing up. So I, I don't know. Just Tony Zitch just popped in my head. And Jeremy, I don't know, I don't know how you have the entirety of baseball reference lodged in that brain of yours, but you do. He was uh, drafted or he did go to high school here in Chicago at yeah, St. Rita. I remember he was drafted out of the University of Louisville. So, again, I don't know how you do it. Jeremy reference, but you do do it. He was a Cubs. He was a Cubs uh, minor leaguer. And I, I, I generally recognize Cubs minor leaguers. Yeah, yeah, Jeremy's on it. Um, what else stands out here? First week or so of spring training, we've got some games in. Randall, what's got your attention? Drawing my attention is that Matt Shaw is drawing a lot of starts. Uh, Craig Council is rotating his regulars in and out. You can see there's a very clear pattern to it. Uh, Bush and Suzuki are playing on the same day, and then your middle infield, Horner and Swanson, are playing on the same day. And on the days where Horner is not in there, Matt Shaw is drawing a lot of starts, and specifically at second base. And that's two things to me. One, that the Cubs really, really want to have this coaching staff and this manager uh, get a real up-close look at his bat, and that's no surprise to anybody. We know the bat is ferocious, and the bat will play. And uh, second, that you know they they want Morrell to get a lot of third-base time, and 
And as a result, Shaw is playing mostly second base here in the spring. And that, I think, raises a little bit of question of whether they perhaps think he can play third base. He was working on strengthening the arm a lot in the offseason, doing those exercises. I tend to believe that if Nick Madrigal can be a capable defensive third baseman, then Matt Shaw can probably handle it. But those are two telling things to me here in the very early going of spring, where tomorrow, not tomorrow, but Friday is only the one week since the Cactus League started. But that's Matt Shaw is getting a lot of starts at second base, a lot of at-bats, and a lot of uh, infield reps. And Jeremy, you saw it today. I did not. Uh, you said that Shaw did something at second base that made you say he still needs some defensive work there. Yeah, I, I mean, I you're not going to confuse him with Nico Horner. Let me say that. No. Um, uh, I I just watching the game today. You know, obviously, you know, I I only saw most of the first couple innings. I saw a little bit of the end, but uh, Jordan Rick Wicks ran into some trouble in the first inning, and part of that trouble was the fact that there was a ball hit to uh, second base. Shaw had to make move a couple steps to his left. Uh, not terribly difficult play but not a super easy play i'll say uh ball ate him up a little bit i was like okay but he still had plenty of time to recover plenty of time to get out of first base and uh, he's got to work on that arm a little bit too because he threw a ball over to first base that one was not an impressive throw in terms of both velocity and it was just way off the line and bush had to come off the line to make a play it's a play that nico horner would have made in his sleep like that's just an easy gobbled up ball throw into first base easy out i would say you know the vast majority of major league second basemen are making this kind of easy play and i was like that man shaw it looks to me like the glove is behind the bat here like he's been impressive with the bat very impressive with the bat but uh i i don't think he's he'd be quite just one play obviously but just i i don't think he'd quite be knocking on the door because i think he probably would still need work defensively. And I know sometimes that's kind of like, you know, like euphemism, like what they do with Bryant, like, oh, he still needs eight games of work on his defense. But I, I do think like, yeah, I think there's some room for this kid to get some seasoning out in the field, especially like if you're going to play him at third base, second base, wherever, like it, it makes sense. But the kid can hit. He's going to hit his way seemingly into the lineup at some point. Anything else, Jeremy, jumping out yeah, at you watching I, these games? Yeah, and... I, I've been watching a little bit. So, so for me, I, I think looking at him, the one thing, and, and like obviously spring training, obviously a weekend, but I think the battle for kind of that fifth starter spot is kind of interesting, and it, it, I'm a little concerned about it. Um, for because one, I, I've seen a couple of these Wick starts, and I, I think for overall his numbers probably look, um, probably pretty fine. But I, to me, he's looked a little shaky a little bit with his command, like he necessarily. Um, but I've been like. Not feel like I, I could see him starting off in Iowa, but then if Wick starts off in Iowa, like where are you going? Hayden Wesnessy kind of didn't really look as sharp uh, earlier. The one guy who looked to me, and I'm not saying he's gonna get the fifth spot because I don't think he's gonna get it, but I've actually been early on kind of surprised by Caleb Killian, and that's a guy mm -hmm. like we haven't thought about, haven't talked about, but I thought he's looked pretty good in his instances of pitching, and I've seen him pitch a couple times, and I'm like he looks he looks solid he looks like he looks better than he kind of did last year when we saw him in that start in Miami and at the end of uh 22 when he came up pitched okay in the majors went back down and then seemingly just lost it in triple a at Iowa so like that that's kind of where I've been focused on it's kind of like that fifth starter um fight 
who's going to win that job? How are they going to figure out that bullpen? Because like, is going to be Assad or is Assad going to come out of the pen? Same with Wesneski. I don't. I think if Wicks doesn't get it, I think he starts in Iowa. Um, so where are we going to go with kind of that fifth uh, spot? And right now, I think it looks a little shaky. Yeah. Well, they got a month to figure that out. Um, going back to something earlier too, I was surprised I didn't get more pushback from either of you with what I said about Justin Steele. Again, I wasn't knocking Justin Steele, but I was surprised neither of you pushed back that I'm not convinced yet that he is an ace. Do you agree with me or am I being a little bit unfair to the Cubs' number one starter? Because he is that. I just don't know if he is an ace. I, I don't disagree. You know, I think that's I think that's semantics, maybe as much as anything. Do you need I I realize yes. you need you need an ace. If you, you need, want to win a World Series, you need an ace up at the top. You got to right. go out and get that. So yeah, but you know, isn't your ace your best pitcher? No, isn't well, your base but, your best starting pitcher? But that's my point. Just because you're the number one starter in a rotation doesn't mean that you're a major league baseball ace. I think that is an elite group of not thirty pitchers in major league baseball. And I'm saying that I think the Cubs have good depth in their starting rotation, but I think right now they lack an ace. And it's possible if Justin makes the leap that he made from two years ago to last year, again this year, as big of a jump as he made two years ago to last season, then maybe he's that guy. But we have not seen that yet. So yes, I think there's a fundamental difference between an ace and a number one guy in a rotation. It's not the same thing. No, okay, it's not the same thing. But I would also say, suggest that maybe there is, it's a very low, it's a very small list of actual aces throughout MLB. And teams have succeeded without having that that sterling all-star number one guy if you can trust your number one guy and i i do agree this is a, a big prove it year for him like you said we saw him make a big jump um so i agree he needs to kind of repeat that and we know about the big innings jump from two years ago to last year um and we know how it, i think it really caught up to him at the end of the season so i think he needs to prove that he can kind of sustain that for the entirety of a season, but um, I'm also not necessarily going to bet against him doing that. I know that's not what you're saying. You're not betting against him. You're not speaking ill of Justin Steele. Um, but yeah, I'd say he has to prove that he can kind of repeat that, but I, he does not have quite as much to prove to me necessarily because he proved that uh, for a lot of last season, he was easily the best pitcher in that rotation. And maybe that's not saying a whole lot, but the, a lot of the work he did last year, especially with, again, basically throwing only two pitches is very impressive. Yeah. I don't disagree with you, uh, Ronan. I, and I understand where you're coming from. Uh, you're not saying like whether or not he's the best pitcher in the rotation. You're saying like, is he a true ace? Or as Craig council would say, is he like a five win pitcher? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that's like, you know, as Craig council would correct you. Um, I, 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 I kind of agree with you. I think that, he, he's a very strong pitcher. I, I Obviously, I love Justin Steele, Mississippi fastball. I like him a lot. I just don't feel like, and Randall kind of noted it at the end here, like he kind of has that true dominant stuff, wipeout stuff, ace stuff, and maybe you don't need it to really be do super dominant, but like just not what you think of as like a traditional true ace. Um, I, I, I Is he one of the top five to ten pitchers in baseball? I'm not sure of that. I, I don't I don't know. Obviously, last year he was great. Last year he pitched pretty well. I, I think we'd like to see him do it again this year. Um, but if you were to, if I wanted to go out and get like a number one starter, and if we were lining up every team's number one starter that would probably make the playoffs this year, I don't think Justin Steele 
I think the Cubs would be at a disadvantage in that. Like if we were looking at game one starters in playoff series, I think the Cubs would be in a disadvantage. So I agree with you. Like if they could go out and get a true ace, a true number one, I would be for it. I don't necessarily think they have it, but uh, I think the pitching staff has the potential to be very good because there's a lot of depth, a lot of guys that are capable of pitching well. And I expect Justin Steele to pitch very well. So we'll see how the season yeah. goes. But I, I agree with you. That's why I didn't push back on it because I agree with you. Yeah. No, I was just expecting it. And I didn't want people to misinterpret. I love Justin Steele. I'm glad he's a Cub, but it's different to, to be that ace type of a pitcher. It's that next level. And if he makes the jump that he did from two years ago to this year, I think he's at that point. But that's not a guarantee. And I'm worried that if he takes a step back, boy, what is that going to do to the organization this season? That would be a real bind to be in. Um, well, a theme of the show here tonight, Randall and I just disagreeing left and right. Uh, Jeremy's sort of understanding where I'm coming from. Uh, Jeremy had an idea here, something we tried last spring. We're going to do quick over under. Jeremy, where'd you get these projections from? Was it fan graphs or? Correct. These are cool. the fan graphs depth chart uh, projections, which are a combination of the steamer projections and the zips projections and then the, the based off of the depth chart the the settings that the fan graves uh, i believe the roster resource uh guy jason martinez does and so they're based on what his predicted uh playing time distribution is so uh that's what this is this is pull anybody can look them up go to the fan graphs depth chart you can see them right there and so that's what these numbers are and we did it last year and i think at some point I'll go back and look through last year so we can have a, a review kind of of who did the best, who did the worst or close. We could judge it. I can tell you I probably was the highest on certain players that may have played first base last year and were not on the team and also <laughs> catcher and were not on the team at the end of the year. That probably happened. Well, we'll start with outfielders here today. Uh, A bunch of guys that we anticipate are going to get a number of starts this season for the Cubs in the outfield. Uh, We'll read off a couple of these projected stats. The big thing here is the war as much as anything, and we're playing over-under. So we'll read out the stats here for each player, and then you decide, are they going to outperform or go over the projected war? Are they going to go under? Um, I would have to say this because Randall's our co-host here. You are not allowed to say, well, that sounds about right. No push. No pushing. And that's nope, a Randall. Can't. Randall does the pushing. We're not going to push here. Uh, let's start with Ian Happ, the gold glover in left field. Uh, 22 home runs, 2.9 war. The gist of it there for Ian Happ. Over or under, Jeremy? I'm going to go over. I think Ian Happ's going to have a breakout year again. I think he's going to, the bat's going to play. I think the bat will play. Um, I don't necessarily know about the homers, but I'm going to go over with the war. Taking the under here. Taking the under on Ian Happ. I'm with you. I'm a bit worried about some things with Ian. Uh, defense has obviously been a standard here the last couple of years. I don't know about the 22 home runs either, but prove me wrong, Ian. We're both going under. Jeremy's going over. Of course, we all want the over for all of these guys. Uh, Cody Bellinger, 23 home runs. Remember, he was the team leader for the Cubs last year with Morrell at 26. The projections say 23 home runs, 2.5 war. You damn better all be saying over on this because that's offensive to me. Just two and a half war for Cody Bellinger. I am easily taking the over on this. No question. Oof. I, you know, this includes his, uh, uh, first base. I do want to point. It's all, of, I believe it's all of first base DH, whatever. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off here a little bit. I'm going to say the under, cause I think one, I don't know if he's, but I also think he's going to play a lot more first base than we expect him to. So I think that's going to hurt his war numbers. Okay. Uh, Seiya Suzuki, the Cubs right fielder. The projections say 23 home runs, 2.4 war. Where are we at with this one? 
over taking the over on Saya here. I'm taking the over on Saya too. I, I'm still waiting for that big breakout. I think we saw it at the end of last year, and the guy hits hard. Baseball's hard, so I'm going over. Yeah, I'm taking the over too. Wonderful end of the season for him. He's what 29 this year, or turning 30, right in his prime here. This is going to be a big year for Seiya Suzuki. I'll take the over there. And boy, if he can get to like 25 home runs or 26 home runs, that will really help this team. Uh, you want power in the corner outfield slots. Uh, let me ask you this to deviate for a minute. Who has more home runs this year, Ian Happ or Seiya Suzuki? Seiya Suzuki, easily. I'm going to say Seiya. I don't know if I'll say easily, but I'm going to say Saya has more. Yeah, I'm going with Saya too. Uh, PCA here, and again, we don't know, will he make the opening day roster? When does he come up and make his appearance this year? When does he get that first big league hit? 0.8 war is the projection, over or under? I'm going to go here's So here's the reason why I said under for Bellinger. I'm going to go over here. I don't think he makes the opening day roster. I think he does come up probably like May, but I think he's going to play a significant amount of center field. And I think the defense, even if the bat isn't there, the defense will carry him. So I think he's going to go over 0.8. So I'll say over 0.8. I don't know how much over 0.8, but I'll say over. And I think that's part of the reason why we'll see Bellinger drop a little bit. Yeah, I'm taking the over. Very reasonable day as to how much over, but I'm taking the over. I think, like Jeremy said, even the bat maybe does not carry him. The defense and the base running, two things that we know uh, FR values, I think they are going to propel him a great deal. So again, by whatever margin, I'm also taking the over. Yeah. Uh, make it a three-peat. I'm going with the over there, too. I'm also thinking mid-May, maybe May 15 or so, something in there. We see PCA back up in Wrigley. Give him a month in Iowa, get some hits under his belt. Maybe at that point, this next guy here, we realize he doesn't really have a slot on the team. We're talking Mike Talkman, the Palatine Pounder, I think they call him. 0.7 war, over or under? Taking the under on Mike Talkman. I'm a little worried that we had our summer of Talkman, such as it was, and that uh, that magic is not going to carry over. So I'm taking the under on Talkman here. I am taking the under on Talkman as well. I just don't think Talkman is going to be... I, 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 he, I don't know if he, he's going to be on the roster this year, so I'm taking the yeah. under on Talkman. I'm with you there, too. Um, whatever happens with Mike Talkman, that play he made in St. Louis last year, robbing the home run to win the game, that is an all all-time moment. Totally, totally. And cool that a local guy was able to get to experience some of that. I hope he helps. You know, he, he's got all the makings of a fourth or fifth outfielder. He can contribute there, but hopefully PCA forces their hand. Um, maybe there's room for all of these guys, two in the outfield. But Mike Talkman, I'm taking the over, or the under, sorry, at 0.7. We'll see how it plays out. Um, we'll keep this going over the next few weeks. we got infielders, catchers, pitchers, pitchers. starters, and, and even some relievers that we can take a look at on that front. Um, but it should be, should be good stuff. Uh, Cubs tickets went on sale in the last week. You know, my, my uh, Cubs trips these days, being out in Denver, are once or twice a year. I get out to Wrigley Field. It's not a problem. So I'm a bit removed from the day-to-day I'm not the kind of guy that gets tickets the day they go on sale anymore. I haven't done that since 2004 or 2005 at this yeah. point. It's been a long time. Things have me. changed. Yeah. When you're getting tickets, the whole process has changed. Um, still, some sticker shock for me from 1,000 miles away. Um, some of these weekend bleacher tickets, face value, $100 at Wrigley Field this summer. Uh, let me remind you last week that Tom Ricketts said they need more revenue in mm. order to increase the payroll. $100 with fees and taxes to set out in the bleachers. That's, that's absolutely crazy. 
The ticket prices are very rapidly approaching prohibitive, even buying on the secondary market where, of course, someone can ask whatever price they want. It gets prohibitive very quickly. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm longing for the days when the Cubs were awful and you could get just incredible seats for $20 because, uh, you know, watching a, a 68 win team up close isn't all that fascinating. Um, but yeah, yeah, they are very rapidly pricing towards prohibitive. And that's unfortunate because I like to hit Wrigley more than a few times during the summer. And if it's going to cost $50 just to get in, uh, it, it that's approaches prohibitive. So it's unfortunate. It's the economics of the game as it is. I don't love it. it it's, it's where it's at right now, but it's unfortunate. Yeah, you know, it just seems to me almost everything has ticker shock these days when you're yeah. looking at anything, you know, especially tickets and, and going to places. It's like, wow, that is a lot more expensive than I was expecting. But I actually haven't really looked at Cubs tickets yet because, you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting until we get yeah. closer to the season sure. to start to look. Um, I'm hoping to be able to go to opening day. I haven't really looked into it, but hoping to be able to get out there once again, as I do every year, hopefully. And uh, more games, you know, I expect, you know, some mid-season i like to go mid uh week i always enjoy a midweek game i prefer midweek games um so yeah it, it's expensive it's expensive to go but uh you know we love the cubs unfortunately and yeah. tom ricketts is able to take advantage of that tom ricketts just puts the vacuum cleaner right into the wallet and and hits hits the button yeah people pay it though um a lot of it uh are artificially sold out games too that's something that i've learned over the years just because a team says it's sold out that's not true at all same thing with concerts concerts are announced as sold out and then yeah buckets of tickets end up getting dumped so you got to play a game with it that's why i'm not the type of person who's in line there when tickets go on sale um that said i'll be out at wrigley at least once this summer um i in mid-june We'll try to make at least two games happen there. Uh, but yeah, pretty pretty wild, the cost of tickets these days. It is something I do not take for granted living here in Colorado. Uh, something about Coors Field, which holds nearly 50,000 people, they seldom sell it out. You can get in there, right? And not just the rock pile $4 tickets in the center field hill. You can get in there for pretty cheap. And it's something that I know would not be available to me uh, being back in Chicago. It's just not that way at Wrigley Field. You got to play the game a little bit. You do the midweek games. You can find some deals. But, man, expensive to go out to Wrigley yeah. Field here in 2024. No question about that. Expensive hobbies nowadays. Yeah. Uh, you know, as you said, yeah. It's, and it's always – it's I always laugh when I see, like, oh, this game sold out, this game sold out. Oh, we released all these tickets. Yeah. yeah. Like the day before, I, I saw a bunch of that. I think with the United that game with the Blackhawks and the Red Wings the other day, it was like it was sold out, sold out, sold. And then like the day before, like we have all these tickets we could sell. Right. Like, oh, interesting, interesting. But uh, yeah. yeah, we'll we'll figure it out though. Maybe maybe also this year we can get our little annual road trip and find a cheaper uh, ticket to get to as well. Uh, you know, I am booked for Pittsburgh in May. Ooh, uh, that's Cubs exciting. Pirates in May. Yeah, my right. my dad has for years been saying I want to go check out PNC. Great park. Brothers and I said, "All right, we're doing it this year. We're going to head out in May for that series and uh, we're going to get some club seats cuz you know, Oof. mid-May in Pittsburgh could be cold. Yep. Dad's not sitting out in 35 degree weather no, in no. Pittsburgh, but we're going to get out there we're sitting in the club seats. I have been to PNC Park. It's gorgeous. Can't wait to get back to Pittsburgh and see the Cubs there in May. But yes, Jeremy, let's try and find something. Mm -hmm. Cubs are here in September. I'm excited about that. Uh, towards the end of the season, weekend this year at Coors Field. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'll be at all three. I'll have that Chunichi Dragons jersey on at least one of the games. Hopefully maybe two here, uh, giving my love for Kosuke Fukudome. Everywhere I go in that thing, anywhere I go, I get stopped. Somebody wants to talk to me. So have to make that so 
when the Cubs are here. Um, Randall, what's up? Something new with the jerseys here. What have I missed? There is, and I'll keep this quick. There, of course, no shortage of ink has been spilled about the jersey issues. Uh, Chris Creamer, who runs the invaluable website sportslogos.net, who has forgotten more about uh, jersey design, logo, all of that, than any of us will ever know, he actually had the opportunity to ask MLB directly about a lot of the issues that have come up, and I we all appreciate him doing so because it answered a lot of the things. Chief among them, the question of the lettering, and the answer was the size lettering that we are accustomed to is a carryover from when teams were making their individual apparel deals, Russell and Wilson and other providers before it went league wide with Majestic. And those letter sizes apparently have been carried over from those deals across multiple decades and in changing everything the intent was to standardize it league-wide now they standardized it poorly but even if they did poorly i do sort of appreciate the explanation the issue of the patches which are no longer embroidered and are now kind of that smoother material um was done in the name of making the jerseys lighter because apparently that was the big feedback from the players when they pulled them so again another time where i think they made a decision poorly but I do appreciate knowing at least what the decision-making process was. And then finally, the issue of the pants, which of course have, uh, we've all talked about how thin the pants look and the pants, they claim no changes were made to the material from last year to this year. And that a lot of the issues we were seeing during photo day was the harsh lighting in the studio conditions. And that if you go back going uh, a number of years, all the way back to 2015, you can see a lot of those same issues for that same reason. I don't know that I buy that completely, but it is at least the slightest bit plausible. And one of the photos circulating that had people up in arms the most, it was a Padres player, maybe Tatis bending over. That is from last season. So it, it by definition, cannot be blamed on whatever changes were made to the pants this year. So we will uh, put that piece out from our Twitter account, of course, at BTYL Podcast. Um, but it, again, it answers a lot of those questions. Maybe it answers them poorly, but they've Nike has been so silent on the matter that I will at this point kind of, I'm happy to get even poor answers versus no answers at all. I, I just want to say that the Cubs need to fight for one of these exemptions that are going they around. They do. So that they can get some nice letters on there. They can get a nice embroidered logo on there because, you know, the Cardinals got one for their chest logo so that they can just keep the old, uh, you know, birds on the bat from for force. And then the Royals, of course, got them for their own lettering. Like the Royals are able to go out there and just have normal lettering and everybody else looks like crap. Cubs, come on. You got to get got to fight yeah. for it. Some people had some foresight here. It completely raises the question of why you're going to allow for these exemptions, and you should if you're trying to standardize it league-wide. So again, a poor answer, but with all of the issues so far, I am happy to have poor answers versus no answers. But I agree completely. If you can go and opt out and make your jerseys look better for it, you should do it, and I don't know why they're not doing it. It does look terrible. I caught... 10 minutes of the game today, you know, seeing the Cubs in road uniforms at a spring training game. And it was a lot of minor leaguers by the time I finally got a chance to turn it on. And it, it, it honestly, they look like youth jerseys that they're it's wearing. It, it's uh, really embarrassing. It's a bad look for baseball. And I know this is the deal the NHL gets next year. Hockey fans do not mess around when it comes to their uh, wardrobe here. There's a lot of pride in those hockey sweaters and they are, wonderful pieces of clothing they're, they're really neat especially the blackhawks um, i love the avalanche uniforms i think they look awesome here those fans show up in those uh sweaters as well when they go to games it's a big part of the culture i think in hockey 
it has to get better. It's uh, awful what's happening out there, and they really look terrible. It looks so cheap. It does. I don't like cheap out on the baseball diamond. Tickets, make them be cheap. Gear, make that be cheap. Jerseys, shouldn't be cheap. cheap. No. Right. Uh, One other thing we want to talk about here. This is a guy that we all respect tremendously uh, for certain. I think I say that unequivocally for the three of us. We will tip our caps here a fairly well to Chicago legend Tom Skilling, who wraps up his legendary career here at WGN. He started Randall in August 1978. And I believe tomorrow, the 29th, or is it today, the 28th? Yeah. Okay. Didn't want to work leap day. This is it. Tonight, the last day for him, and he got a little bit of a tornado outbreak, his second to last night. That seemed fitting for Mr. Skilling. He he didn't just get the tornado outbreak. He got the 70-degree February day, followed by the tornado outbreak, followed by the nearly 50-degree temperature plunge, followed by the morning snow. And if that's not a send-off for Mr. Skilling, I don't know what is. He's a Chicago, he's a Chicago institution as much as the pizza and the Italian beef and the buildings. Um, we record this on the evening of Wednesday, February 28th. It's about 1030 central time as we're wrapping up. He did his final weather cast about an hour ago. So as as of us recording this, he has been retired for a little over an hour. And like you said, we, we can't tip our caps enough to a Chicago institution. So, Tom, uh, good luck in retirement. Enjoy your enjoy uh, your amateur weather forecasting. No longer having to do it on television. Best of luck to you, Tom. Of course, a uh, a longtime WGN guy and the Cubs, oh, yeah. longtime playing on WGN. You got to see a lot of Tom Skilling uh, around the Cubs. And when the Cubs had a, uh, first put those video boards in and they were on WGN, you used to be able to get there early and you would see a Tom Skilling uh, weather cast for the game before the game started and see what was going on or a WGM weather person. Uh, so yeah, so there is that little bit of a connection there to the Cubs uh, as mm-hmm. we were talking on the Cubs podcast. And uh, yeah, of course, Tom Skilling, obviously a Chicago institution as Randall called him. He got that one last uh, storm, as you said, um, just, just kind of, as Randall mentioned, just kind of a couple crazy days. You're going from uh, 60, you know, 70 degree, almost uh Chicago day where that's like the high and the low ends up being like in the twenties. You're like, wow, that that's one heck of a day. Um, So uh, just, just a, a neat send off. And uh, you know, uh, another, as you said, legend of Chicago institution gone, but uh, uh, I hope, I hope he's well in retirement. Yeah, absolutely. I hope he stays in Chicago, too. I don't know what his intentions are. He's been such an important part of the community. My earliest memories watching Cubs games in the 90s, you'd get like the random night game. Remember at the time, the Cubs were only playing like 15 night games over the course of the season. So you'd get that Wednesday night game. There'd be a storm rolling into Chicago. The Cubs broadcast would go into the WGN weathercast. Tom Skilling was a big part of Chicago Cubs broadcast, like you were saying there, Jeremy. I remember him in front of the green screen. You'd see the radar coming in. Also something that I missed from my childhood, the Chicago Tribune, which we would get at the house every day. The back page, the weather page, he... I don't think he designed the page, but he provided the weather forecast that then they would lay out. But he'd have his little picture there. You had the segment Ask Tom, where you could ask a weather question there and he would answer it. That went away from the Tribune. I'd say at this point, maybe 12 or even 15 years ago at this point, that finally ended. That was some one of my favorite things, picking up the newspaper. It's like, okay, do I want to read Paul Sullivan today? No, I want to read Tom Skilling. What's going on in the weather? Uh, and I'm, I'm a bit of a weather nerd. I love it. I love studying it. I love the fact that we've got a, a great friendship here with uh, Cubs weather and Alexander and those guys because – 
I'm a weather nerd. I love talking about it. I'm very sad that Tom is hanging it up. I mean, good for him. He deserves whatever retirement that he wants. But Chicago's a little bit uh, not the same without Tom Skilling on the news every day. And it was a bummer to see that go from the Tribune too some years ago. 100%. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that too. Like he had that little ass Tom on the back yeah. page of the Tribune. I, I, I assume that, you know, when the Tribune was reorganized uh, years ago, they they probably lost whatever connection they had with WGN doing that. Uh, then they had, like, remember Tronk. They didn't, Tronk. didn't want to pay him is yeah. uh, how I interpreted that. <laughs> we could pay Tom Skilling or we, we could just have the computer tell us what the weather's going to be. That's right. good enough. Seems like that's the MO at most newspapers, uh, unfortunately, these days. Samo and uh, for you, for most baseball teams these days. Um, so, or as a, Scott Boris was bitching about it too. I'll say something too here. Uh, Chicago's a great weather city. You get all the seasons, you get extreme weather. It's, it's an interesting place weather-wise, right? Because you get a lot going on. I feel similarly about Denver. It's not the same weather as Chicago, but you've got huge temperature swings, hot days. You know, last week it was 65 degrees. Then we got a snowstorm. And by the afternoon of the snowstorm, it was back up into the forties and all the snow was melting. It's weird weather here. Well, we have a staple weather person here in Denver. Um, I got to be careful here because she's also an alum of the school that I teach at. So she's well, sort of, Okay. Careful. Like, thread the needle here. Oh, she's sort of royalty here. She is no Tom Skilling. Let me tell you that. She is no Tom Skilling. She doesn't do it the way that he does. Uh, so I've missed him and my time out here in Denver. Nothing else bad to say. I think she's a fine weather person, but she's no Tom Skilling. Well, to be fair, there aren't a lot of Tom Skillings. There's right. only, no, who is? Only who is one. Tom Skilling? There's only one Tom, Tom Skilling. Skilling. So you're not going to quite get that anywhere you go. Well, anything else here before we break? Anything bothering you? Randall, are you bothered by Scott Boris's skinny jeans, Tom Skilling? What's no, not really. Only because, like you said, if we are seeing it, it generally means he's there at the Cubs facility as the Cubs introduce another one of his clients. So those are indignities that I will suffer in the name of the Cubs making themselves better and spending money. Uh, here's what I'm going to say. I hope to see, as Randall just said, I hope to see Scott Boris back at, at Sloan uh, Park. I hope, you know, the question was asked, will there be more of these scheduled? And and Scott Boris just lunged, on, not lunged, but looked across the table and looked directly at Jed Hoyer when that question was asked. Will there be more of these scheduled? And he looked at Jed uh, to say, you know, I'm just sitting here waiting for the Cubs to make one of their signature moves is what he said. So uh, Scott Boris is not saying no. He said, hey, you want to sign my guys? Sign my guys. I'm here to have them signed. So uh, hopefully, Jed, you know, invites Scott Boris back. Well, to keep the Star Trek theme going, make it so, Jed. Make it so here. Follow Captain Picard. Engage. Let's make this roster better. Uh, Folks, we are recording this on February 28th. Opening day is March 28th. So we are one month out now from opening day over at Globe Life Field against the defending World Series champions, the Texas Rangers. But we have this extra leap day tomorrow, February 29th. So bummer on that point. We'll be back in a week or so. More Cubs headlines to get into. More Jersey updates from Randall. Um, We're on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. We're rolling out some new content online as well. Um, So share some thoughts with us. Let us know what you're thinking on that front. And we'll see you soon here to talk more Cubs baseball. Thank you.